God, it is this message that you have sent us out into this world with. Lord, it does not feel like we are far from home. It doesn't feel like the message of the gospel has come a long way. But, oh, Lord, it has. Thousands and thousands of miles and through generations and generations, the message of the gospel has come to us. We are foreigners. We are Gentiles. Yet we have heard this message. And Lord, the only reason we have heard it is because the gospel message has been entrusted to faithful men who have given that message to others also. What a serious charge we have today, God. The future of the church, the future of the gospel. Lord, I pray that none here today would take lightly what we are doing, especially me. Lord, lead us today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So if you have a Bible, and don't worry, if you don't, there's some around you that you can use. The passage that I'm going to be sharing from is 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you don't know much about the book of 1 Timothy, I'm just going to do a really brief, this is going to be really short, so I'm just doing a real brief uh, context of what the book of 1 Timothy is. 1 Timothy was a book that was a, well, it was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his disciple, Timothy, who was a young pastor in the city of Ephesus. And he, so he didn't have much experience. He didn't really know what he was doing, but he had been trained by Paul. He had been given some experience. It says he was gifted for ministry. And so in a very real way, Paul is writing this letter to give him some practical advice, to give him some help, but to also encourage him. And so I'm going to read uh, the whole passage, and then we're just going to work through it real fast today. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 11. <clears throat> Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public or devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. I'm going to read that one more time. Perry, I'm reading it to you. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, 
For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This call that Paul has to Timothy is laid out in some pretty simple categories. There's first, he's saying, and I think that we find a good summary of this passage in verse 16. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. That last phrase should put a weight on you, brother. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What is at stake when it comes to who a church decides to ordain as a pastor? What is at stake when you bring someone in to ministry and when you call them to that ministry? Salvation. Salvation is at stake here. If we get it wrong, if you get it wrong, the salvation of souls is at stake. Your salvation is at stake. Not that you could lose it if you make a mistake. We all make mistakes, right? In the verse just before that, it says, so that all may see your progress. Nobody expects perfection. If you do, I've let you down plenty of times. <laughs> I guarantee it. Nate has too, and Perry will. But we will progress. We will grow. But what's at stake? Salvation of people. How many pastors, I wonder, have spent decades in ministry and because they do not line up with what we're about to go in, how many of them have had not just unfruitful ministries but maybe have spent their entire ministries not even a Christian themselves? I've met pastors like that who have been in a weird way converted under their own preaching. <laughs> but it happens. So the two sections that he divides this into, he tells you, Perry, to watch two things. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. He says, keep a close watch on yourself. Perry, make sure that your life is living in step with the gospel, that you do not fall into the trap of hypocrisy, that you don't teach one thing but then live another. He gives a really good example of what type of life he's talking about in verse 12. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. But, and, and while you're not necessarily a young man, you have a lot of life experience. And a lot, you've been able to speak into a lot of situations in the life of this church. And that's so valuable to us. But you haven't been in ministry very long. You don't have a lot of ministry experience. Don't let that discourage you. That's what he says to Timothy. Don't let that discourage you, brother. Because there's a lot of people that have been a Christian for a long time. There's a lot of pastors that have been pastors for a long time. But they don't do this. So let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. People are going to be looking at your life. If you don't feel it already, and let me, it's not just you that's going to feel it. Your wife's going to feel it too. Your kids are going to feel it. Your life is going to be under a microscope. And people are going to see you. And people are going to watch you. And whether you like it or not, you're going to be the one that sets the example for everyone else that is at this church and is in this community. And they're going to be looking to you to see how they need to talk, to see how they need to conduct themselves, to look for an example of what it looks like to love someone. 
to look at, to you as an example of what it means to be pure in the way that you live your life, in the way you conduct yourself. So set the believers an example. Your life, it's not, you know, uh, people always talk about how kids, your kids don't, don't necessarily do what you tell them to do. They're going to do what you show them to do. And as you lead a church, people are not going to do just what you teach. They're going to do what they see you do. And your life will either give them license to sin themselves or it will spur them on to purity, to love, to good works. When I, um, when I worked for the camp ministry that I did, we were always told that uh, our job, and, and Alex will remember this, we were always told that our job was never to be the thermometer in the room. Like, we're not supposed to be the ones that are telling what the temperature is. Rather, we are the thermostat. We are the ones that set the temperature. Our lives are the ones that set the standard for what others are supposed to look at and to follow. That's why, as you know very well, the characteristics of an overseer in 1 Timothy 3, just a little before this, in 1 Timothy 3 are all about your character and how you live your life. It's because people are going to be looking to you for your example. But he doesn't just say... Watch your life. He says, watch your teaching. And the reason for that is because, Perry, it doesn't matter how good your life is. Your life will never lead anybody to Christ. Your life won't save anyone. If anybody only ever tries to imitate your example, all they're going to do is lead themselves into hell as a good person. And heaven, you don't get into heaven just because you're a good person, because you live a good life. You get there because you love Jesus and you trust Jesus for your salvation. So watch your teaching. He doesn't just encourage Timothy to be an example. He says this in verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself. Brother, this is your primary job. This is your primary responsibility to this church is to devote yourself to these things. Devote yourself. To the public reading of scripture. To exhortation. To teaching. And don't let your teaching become slack. Don't let your teaching become second chair. To other things that you're doing. Don't get distracted by all the other things that everybody here is going to want you to do. This is what's important. This is what's necessary. Teach us brother. Give us the word of God. Encourage us each day. Devour it yourself. The, the language that he uses, he, he, says, he says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Make this your life. This is what you're called to do. I was once, when I was 16, uh, I had just become a Christian like two years ago at this point. I was studying the Bible and it was pretty, it was even clear at this point, I was already on a track to ministry and what I was doing in my life. And a dear friend of mine uh, gave me a charge. He told me something, and it's always going to stick with me. What he told me was, build your life and ministry on rightly dividing the word of truth and teaching people to love it and obey it, and you'll never go wrong. Brother, labor to know God's word. 
labor to understand it and labor to give it to other people, to teach people to understand it, to love it, and to obey it. It will save their souls if you do that. He says, persist in these things. At times, I know it can seem taxing and nitpicky and irrelevant to spend so much time on the nuances of what the Bible teaches, but take the time. It's important. Don't lose what's there. Make sure you're right when you say something as best as you can. And when you say something that's not right, repent and ask God for forgiveness and to cover over that mistake. You will make mistakes. That's okay. There's a reason that James chapter 3, verse 1 says that not many of you should become teachers because, Perry, you will be judged with greater strictness. Nate will be judged with greater strictness. I will be judged with greater strictness because we are teaching these people what God's word says. And if we teach them something that's wrong, salvation is at stake. And then, Perry, as you teach God's word, and as you live a life of humility and love and purity and conduct, obey it. You walk in it yourself. And as you are walking in it yourself, look back behind you and say, come on, guys. Let's go. And then you just keep going. Don't worry if other people are following you or not. You're called to obey. So you keep going. Let me pray. Heavenly Lord, God, sometimes it feels like you have given us things that are too great for us, things that are too excellent for us to see, to experience, Lord. At times it feels as if you call us to the mountaintop to see your face. And when we come back down to teach others to share what we've seen, what we've experienced, what we've heard from your word, God, our faces shine, and the people can't handle it. And it's, we, it's not just they can't handle it. It's like we, we can't express it enough to give a full picture of the reality of what we've seen. God, we thank you for our brother Perry, for everything he means to us. God, I pray that he would take this charge to heart, that he would carry it with him all of his days, until he is in in the grave and with Christ. His entire life is dedicated to you and to your word and to teaching others about it. Lord, help him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. To do now, what we're gonna do now is actually, uh, Perry, you're gonna join me up here and Nate is gonna join me up here as well. And so what we're going to do is, as part of this ordination service, we're going to actually, Nate and I, pray over Perry and uh, lay hands on him. And so you come in here in the middle, brother. Let's pray together. Lord God, you have called Perry to a great task. One that is 
carrying a burden that is impossible to bear. Lord, I pray most of all that you would make him a weak man. Unable to stand on his own strength. Unable to lead by his own power. So that he would always be dependent on our Lord Jesus Christ. And the strength that his spirit provides us. Lord, help Perry never trust in his own devices. In his own knowledge. In his own life. Help him always point people to Christ. Father, we pray you'd give him a fruitful ministry. One that impacts many lives. And that leads many people to Christ. Lord, we pray most of all that his life would result in many others being raised up for the ministry. So that the same gospel you've entrusted to us, he will entrust to others. Father, guard his teaching. Guard his life. Protect him from the attacks of Satan. Lord, we ask that you bless his family. God, protect Laura and her heart. Father, help her support Perry. Walk with him in this, Lord. In a very real sense, this is not just a burden he carries, but his whole family will carry it. And so, God, help them. Provide good people to support them and to love them always. Father, encourage him. Pray that you give him many opportunities. And we pray that your word would be implanted in his heart so that he cannot but help speak of the things that you've shown us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Perry, for being up here. Scott, thank you. The humbling word for myself this morning, too. As Perry was kneeling there, I was having some flashbacks. When I, when I was ordained at First Baptist Mount Washington, a little bit of a bigger church, they, they uh, would have every one of their deacons come down to the front and lay their hands on you and one by one pray for you and give you an encouraging word, which was really awesome. But by the end of it, they literally had to help me up because my knees were done at that point. And so thankful we have a smaller church and shorter prayer. Um, when we first, so uh, when we first started Mercy Hill, we did a bunch, and, and many of you were here at the beginning, we, uh, we did a bunch of outreaches and big events. And one of those big events was the Easter egg drop, which for the first year, uh, kind of sad we're not doing it this year, but also kind of happy because it's a lot of work, right? And so you guys have been around for a while. If you've been part of the Easter egg drop and we dropped eggs from a helicopter, we did it at the fairgrounds and had thousands and thousands of people coming to this thing. And it, it just got to the point where it was too big. And, and year after year, we would do this thing. And I mean, you feel pretty good about yourself because you got this huge crowd coming, but the fruit from it was like nothing. Like we'd, we'd see no... Nobody come to church, nobody saved, nobody, and, and we would share the gospel, and so it wasn't, it was pointless, but then one year, we were introduced to, in fact, we've only had two people come to Mercy Hill because of the egg drop, Para and Laura Cook <laughs> are the only two people that have come from the egg drop, and uh, I think maybe all that work and all that effort that we put into the egg drop over all those years are for them to come here, that God provided them. I can remember the uh, after the egg drop, and they had been a part of it, and 
they were going through a situation where uh, the church that they were involved with, the leadership just started going in a weird direction. And so uh, Perry met with me in McDonald's, if you remember, in Mount Washington, and we, we had a long conversation. And I can remember that first day thinking, man, this guy's got a ton of potential. And so I cannot wait to see what God is going to do in your life. Uh, and, and the reason we're doing this, I want to make this very clear. There's no magic in this ceremony. In fact, the word ordination in the Bible simply means to appoint to a, a task or a position, an office. And so as a church, we've already done that. We voted Perry in as an elder. And so in that sense, he's already been ordained. And what we're doing today is celebrating what's already been been done. And it gives us, a, as a church, an opportunity also to learn and say, okay, what does this mean for us? Because we recognize that a church rises and falls on its leadership. And so if we want to be a church that continues to make disciples and has a lasting impact, the purity of the church, the, the longevity of a church depends on the leadership of the church. And so we want to take biblical eldership seriously here for the health of the church. And so that's why we're doing this. We want to protect the church so that you understand this is what it means to have biblical leadership. This is what protects the church. And so as a church, we have a responsibility, just like Scott shared that Perry has a responsibility and expectation as an elder and what that looks like to watch yourself and your teaching. We as a church have a responsibility to respond to that. And so I'm going to take a few minutes, and my hope is that we would avoid the two extremes, that you don't think too highly of your elders, but also you don't think too lowly of your elders, that you don't put your elders up on a pedestal and you idolize them and they become your savior because we are not saviors, we are shepherds. We're not even the main shepherd. Christ is our chief shepherd. We are under shepherds. And so ultimately you are following Christ. And so... With that, I want to challenge us as a church in response. This is the call to the church to do three things. And uh, typically, on a, in a sermon, we do what Scott just did. We walk through one passage, and we, we break it down, show you the context, try to teach you what the original author intended. And so today, I'm still trying to teach you what the original author intended, but I'm not just going to look at one text. I'm going to look at several, and there's more of a topical sermon. And I, I want to show you what the, the whole scripture has to say about what the church's response is supposed to be to biblical eldership. And so three things that we're going to focus on, our response as a church to eldership should be that we would watch, we would follow, and we would pray for. And so if you're taking notes, that's where we're going to be today. Watch, follow, and pray for. So let's talk about watch. Just as Scott said that you, Perry, are supposed to, to watch over yourself and over your own life and your own teaching, you're supposed to watch over the church. The church has a responsibility to watch over you and to watch over the other elders. You, you have a responsibility to keep us accountable. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders at that point, he says something very similar to what Scott talked about uh, that, that Paul said to Timothy. He says, pay careful attention to 
yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. And so there you see the responsibility of the elders, to care for the church of God, which he obtained, Jesus obtained, with his own blood. And so again, it's not our church, it's Christ's church. And then he says this, this is vital. I know that after my departure, Paul speaking, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. It's a humbling passage to read as a, as a pastor. To know that Paul warns us, God warns us that there could be wolves that are raised up even within the church. And that I could become one of those if I'm not careful, I'm not, if I'm not watching my own teaching, my own doctrine. But it is the church's responsibility also to watch the elders and watch the pastors. That's why the, in, throughout the New Testament we see warning after warning of to beware of false teachers. In fact, I think the church should be like the Jews in Berea. Paul commends them. And he says, now, these Jews were, were more noble than those of Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word with all eagerness. In other words, they came in and they were hungry to hear God's word. They wanted to hear God's word. They came home in with their, with their Bibles open, just hungry. And then it says that they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so they came in hungry, but they also went home looking and studying to make sure that what was being taught was actually the truth. That what was being taught was actually what the original authors of the Bibles intended. Because they were the one that were, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The, the, what we do up here is not just sharing our opinions or our stories. And I would encourage you, if you ever move away from here and you have to go to a different church, that should be the number one thing you're looking for. On a Sunday morning when you walk in, you should be listening to that pastor and asking yourself, is this person teaching me the opinions of a, of a man or are they teaching me what the inspired authors of the Bible intended? Because that's where life change is going to happen. Not by my opinions, but by what, what, did the, what does the Bible actually say? And so are they teaching the Bible? And so you as a church have the responsibility, and we, we do our best to be careful with the text, but because we're human, because we have biases, sometimes we're going to read those into the text. And so you as the church have a responsibility, and a high responsibility to keep us accountable. If you hear something that sounds off, if you hear something that doesn't make sense, I'd encourage you to ask questions. If Perry says something that's off base, you have a responsibility to keep him accountable. Same thing with Scott, same thing with myself. Church has also a responsibility not just to look at his teaching, but also to watch over his life, to watch his life, to watch the life of the elders. Paul lays out the qualifications of an elder so that the whole church would be able to evaluate them. In fact, that's what Paul says. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of, of the truth. And so Paul recognizes 
that the church is the bride of Christ, that we are supposed to be a display of the glory of God in this community, a light in the darkness. And so we ought to do whatever it takes to protect that. And that definitely includes the church taking on the responsibility to watch the teaching, the doctrine, and the life of the leadership. And so if you observe something in the lives of one of your elders that could potentially destroy the witness of the body of Christ, you should lovingly call us out. In fact, Paul prescribes how to do this in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. He says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. So I want to point out that Paul is not giving the elders some kind of special privilege here. He, he's simply protecting them. The, see, the normal requirement for a Jew back then, if they had an accusation against somebody else, is they had to have at least one other witness with them. And so in this verse, Paul is saying, look, you need to give the elders that same privilege. But he makes it clear that, look, if they persist in their sin, you ought to rebuke them in the presence of all so that rest may stand in fear. In other words, the elders of the church stand accountable, that they're not above church discipline. And so responsibility number one for you, for, for us as a church, is to keep the elders accountable by watching over their teaching and watching over their their lives. The second response or requirement or responsibility that we have as a church towards the elders is to follow. So as, as you watch over their lives and as you watch over their teaching, you're not just looking to evaluate, you're looking to imitate. Hebrews 13, 7. We're going to look at a couple of verses in he Hebrews 13 if you want to turn there. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way, their way of life and imitate their faith. Paul several times challenges the church to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Again, the qualifications of the elders that are laid out in 1 Timothy and Titus, those qualifications are not remarkable. Those qualifications are the basic requirement for a mature believer. Again, back in Hebrews 13, skip down to verse 17. The author mentions leadership again. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so you're called as a church to listen and to yield to the authority of the elders. Why? Because they're watching over your soul. Now, they're not keeping you saved. That's not what he means by that. He's, what he means by that is we, we are caretakers. We're watching like, like, you would, uh, like shepherds watch over a flock that doesn't belong to them. That's the role of an elder is to watch over the spiritual health of their congregation. And so why are you to yield to their authority? Because we're watching over your souls and we will be held accountable for those in our care. 
And so when you follow your elders and it leads to spiritual growth, that, that, that brings us great joy. I mean, we, we love to hear about those spiritual breakthroughs that happen in your life. Those spiritual aha moments. I, I love listening to people's testimonies. I love getting texts and phone calls about what God is doing in your life. And this is what I found. The vast majority of the spiritual breakthroughs that I've seen in the last 12 years of, of full-time ministry have not happened when people's lives are easy and everything's going well. The vast majority of those spiritual breakthroughs have happened in the midst of trials and testing. And as pastors, we have the burden and the responsibility and the privilege often of being there when God puts a fork in the road. And you have an option, a decision to either run towards God or run away from God. And in those moments, we do our best to direct you towards God, of course. And when you do go in that direction, we celebrate. It is a joyous moment. But when you choose to go the other way, it does cause us groaning, sometimes <laughs> sleepless nights. And so it is to your advantage that you follow Perry's lead. You follow your elders' lead as they encourage you to, to run towards God. And so we have a responsibility as a church to watch over the life and the teaching of the elders, to follow and to imitate them as they imitate Christ, and then thirdly, to pray for them. Challenge to pray often for Perry. When the first century church was first getting started, Paul and Barnabas were on a missionary journey and they would share the gospel, people would re receive the gospel, and these new Christians would start to gather together, and so church plants were starting to pop up all over the place, and so they would come back through where they had preached the gospel and they would assign elders because they recognized the importance of leadership within these new congregations. And so in Acts 14, verse 23, we read this, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so Paul and Barnabas recognized the importance of appointing elders and, and healthy leadership within the church, how important that structure was to these new churches. And so they spent time praying and fasting. I would encourage you to be committed to praying and even fasting for your elders. We covet your prayers. And I want to give you four specific prayer requests. There's a lot of things you could pray for, but I want to give you four specific prayer requests right now for us and specifically for, for Perry. Pray for that Perry and the, the elders would, one, be devoted to the word and to prayer. That's our main role as elders, as Scott had said. Pray that we would not be distracted from that. There's so many things in this world that the urgent often distract us from those two things. But that is our main role. That's the primary role. That's why they started a deacon's ministry, so that the, the elders could focus on prayer and on the ministry of the word. And so pray that we'd be devoted to the word and to prayer, that we wouldn't be, would not be distracted from that. Number two, pray that Perry and the elders would be above reproach. 
Again, this goes back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. The primary qualification of an elder is to be above reproach. And what does that mean? Well, the rest of the qualifications describe what that means. Okay, like, like you said, it doesn't mean perfection. But read the rest of the qualifications. That, that's what it means. And pray that we would, our character, it's about character, that, that our character would match our teaching. Pray for us that we would be above reproach. Thirdly, pray for, the, for Perry and the rest of the elders that we would be filled with wisdom. Specifically, wisdom from above. And if you want a template to what that looks like, you can go to James chapter 3, verse 17. James writes, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, and sincere. Many churches have failed because leadership have not had wisdom from above. They've had wisdom from this world, but not wisdom from above. And so pray that we would be filled with godly wisdom. And then finally, pray that Perry and the elders would be filled with humility. I think humility is a necessary aspect of leadership, any kind of leadership, but especially in leading the church because any kind of relate when there's relationships, it gets messy. And in a church family, we, we talk about this as family. If, if you've ever been part of a family, you know that family gets messy. There's going to be conflict. And I know in marriage or any kind of relationship, humility is what brings you back to reconciliation. You see, you see our pride bubbles up and causes us to either run in the midst of conflict or fight in the midst of conflict. But it's humility that brings us back together and keeps us united. And so I'd encourage you to pray for humility. And so once again, our response as a church to biblical eldership is that we would watch over the elders, that we would also follow their lead. As they imitate Christ, we should imitate them. And then finally, we would pray for the elders. Let's pray right now. Father, you have given us a great calling as elders to, to lead your church well, and I pray that we would do that. I pray for Perry again, that you would keep him focused on your word and on prayer and not be distracted, that you would keep him humble, you would keep him wise. I pray for our church that you would give us the, the wisdom and the boldness to keep the leadership accountable, that you would keep this church healthy and growing, and we would see many, many more spiritual breakthroughs because we follow you first and most. Help us to surrender all of our lives to you. For your glory, Lord, we pray these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to move into a, a time of communion.